When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Tony Greer, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to have you here. Slash Bennington, how are we doing this week? I'm doing great. Before we get started, lots happening in markets right now. First question to you, Tony. Why the hell are we wearing neckties? I tuned in. You had a tie on. I was like, I'm not going to be the only guy looking like a schlub. I went and got mine. It looks like we're calling a Major League Baseball game. What's going on? We are not calling Major League Baseball a game even better. We are calling financial markets. Um, my man Darius Dale said to continue bringing the heat. I thought that a great way to keep bringing the heat would be to show up in old Wall Street form, looking you know, with a tie and a press shirt, looking sharp. And my favorite part of the day so far has been your realization seeing me in a tie and going, wait a minute, I'm not going into this thing in a T-shirt. So we're both on the same page. Um, we're both watching these incredible developments in the markets. And, um, you know, it, we have to respect the markets, and that's why we look sharp. Absolutely. And very well said. This brings me back to my days working in a bank. I remember uh, in the early 90s, working on Wall Street, mid-90s, where you literally had to wear a necktie if you were crawling around on your hands and knees laying cable. You just wore a necktie. It was just the it way was it was. It was an airmate tie. It was the collar tab, so they were flat. I mean, everything was looking dynamite. And you know, here we are progressing to a point where you know I'm largely dressed in sweatpants and a hoodie. You know, sitting here in front of the screen. So this is actually a really good change of pace for me, <laughs> Tony. So what are you looking at? What's on your screen here today? Well, today, you know, let's talk about what's pressing and where you left off, Ash. You know, Bitcoin and Ethereum screeching off to new highs. That's really relevant to me. Uh, it's really relevant to me because alongside that, we're seeing interesting price action in both the bond market and market-based inflation expectations. What we have rhyming with the best inflation hedges on the board running away to new highs, and I'm talking about cryptocurrencies, the two biggies. What we have alongside that is we have five-year break-evens chugging right to the top of their range, looking like they're about to break out through 3%. That's the market expecting more inflation to happen. What we're seeing in the bond market in terms of yields, we caught a big bond rally, um, largely started, got started a little bit last week and continued today, mainly because PPI coming out in line at 8.6% year over year isn't shocking the shit out of anybody anymore, right? Like we know this is coming out. The bond market knows this is coming out. Something that's not higher expectation, excuse me, something that's not beating expectations in this market is just not enough of a headline to put a, you know, a real scare in the flat price inflation of the bond market. So what we see is we see two-year yields backing off and finding a range bottom, 10-year yields simply pulling back to that moving average trend line support trying to make you feel crazy that you know there's actually inflation going on and your gas bill and your grocery bill are exploding. But they're ignoring inflation for now, but I don't think it's going to be permanent. 
We've got another development. 30-year yields can't even stick their head up above 2%, falling down to about 185 now. What is that translating into? Home builder rally, right? Home builders up 2% today on the screens at the top of my leaderboard, breaking out and winning. Um, we're seeing a little bit of a commodity back off today. You know, we've got, um, excuse me, we've got natural gas falling because it's 65 degrees in November. We've got crude oil rallying because spreads are still really widening out. We've got the one-year crude spread, and I'm talking about these 21, these 22, widening out almost $2 today to over $11 again. So while we've been cautious about crude oil with the spreads out extended the way they are, just looking for a potential market dynamic pullback, the spreads are actually indicating why flat price won't back off. And that's why you see oil back to 84 and change right toward the highs today, Ash. So I know I know there's a lot to pick apart. We should probably pick one topic at a time and start drilling down. But there's uh, there's a lot to go over in this market. Well, you know, Tony, this is great because it's kind of a clinic in how you deal with markets, right? You've got all these little scraps, all these little threads coming out. You've got all these numbers up on the screen, things moving in different directions, trying to balance it out, trying to figure out which way is up in these markets. Give us a sense of how you start to put this together, how you start to react to it, and how it plays into your thesis as you see it right now. Well, my thesis is whatever the market tells me. I don't have a thesis. I'm not smart enough. I have a thesis. I gave up on formulating theses a long time ago, and I decided to start making money. Um, so what we're I looking love that at, whenever you say it, well, it's important to me, and I try to remind myself lest I forget, and then I try to get smart, and I come up with a thesis, and I lose money again. So what happens is, you know, we're we're really we're respecting. I'm respecting the fact that the price action in Ethereum and Bitcoin match the narrative of the inflation spike that's happening around us, right, Ash? Um, you know, crude oil not giving much back, um, metals prices have come alive, gold just started rallying sharply as soon as I observed on Twitter that it went bidless. We got through last week's FOMC meeting. Maybe it's because we're pricing in a little bit of Lael Brainerd. Maybe because we're pricing Jerome Powell out and an MMT Fed chair in. But gold picked up and rallied. Just stop you there. For people who aren't following this as closely as you are, let's talk about what we mean when we're saying that. Fair point. So we've got Jerome Powell in now, who is in a sticky situation with a trading scandal right on top of his rather poor handling of the inflation scenario here in the U.S. I think that's totally fair to say when a Fed chair comes out and says transitory, the whole world calls him on it and the whole world winds up being right. Right. We saw the Fed chair kind of tuck tail change uh, course on his transitory comments. We saw all of the Fed um, talking feds over the last several weeks come out and you know make their case for um, cutting back on QE on tighter rates, high, um, you know, to combat inflation, and they're trying to right the ship. You know, right. in the background, we've got the impl- we've got the we've got to replace Jerome Powell um, story. So Lael Brainerd comes to the fore- foreground, and I don't really like getting into this. This is too much prognosticating, but I want to explain my thought process. Um, You know, Lael Brainerd comes to the foreground as the potential front runner for Fed replacement. She's notoriously one of the biggest doves on the entire panel. Um, You know, she's entertained the MMT conversation. You know, it's just next level dovishness paired up with Janet Yellen at the Treasury. And, you know, you really can't think of a more accommodative duo than Lael Brainerd and Janet Yellen. I don't think. Right. So. 
as the market starts to anticipate that, inflationary signals start chirping up, right? We see gold rallying. We see Ethereum and Bitcoin rallying. We see chips today at the top of my leaderboard, treasury inflation protected security. So somebody is looking to protect themselves from inflation as that security makes a new high for this rally. So what I'm trying to do, Ash, is I guess match up the narrative which is, you know, we are we are um, deliberately attacking crude oil investment and supply here in the U.S. We are ceding pricing power over to OPEC, you know, Russia and China. Um, we've tried to react in the markets to that by staying long crude oil and to be able to participate in that trade while it's working still. And, you know, we've still got the inflation picture right in front of our face with the bond market saying it's not that inflationary. Right, the bond market can still rally. So if yields are are not breaking out, the bond market is not really cons- um, afraid of inflation. But some of the inflation expectations are picking up. It's a little bit of a confusing signal there. But when I see what's going on in the stock market, which is a healthy baton handoff rally, sort of a relay race rally, as I like to call it, because right. every day we come in, you know. Fair enough. Eight times out of 10, it's energy in the lead because of that policy. But then other times you'll see home builders in the lead like today, gold medals in mining in the lead like today. And even with this, broadly speaking now, higher uh, set of yields across the board in treasuries, and I'm just talking about that move off the lows, technology is still performing. Right. And if FANG stocks can break out and make new highs, and if the cybersecurity sector can explode to new highs, then you know I'm trying to figure out what sector is going to turn around and tank the stock market as we trudge right through earnings season, and it seems like we have more upside surprises than down. So yeah. to me, this you know this bullish picture, the bullish narrative, the bullish price action, the technical charts across the board, you know, really across the commodity complex and equity complex, everything looks good to me, Ash. So I'm feeling good about, you know, our breakout wins um, daily update from the middle of October. And when we said, you know, it looks like another leg higher is coming. It's been several straight weeks of straight up for the S&P, for crude oil, and for really for the inflation trade narrative. So we're going to stick with our guns here. We pivoted our clients into Bitcoin, um, luckily, because we got to live in this world. Um, I'm excited that TG Macro now accepts Bitcoin payments, so I'll be scooping some up along the way, hopefully. Oh, very nice. Um, that's kind of the mechanism that I kind of designed for myself to figure out how to uh, live in this world, as I always say. And we'll see what happens from here. But why do you want to spend Bitcoin if it's rising in price? That's true. We're hoarding it at this point, Ash. We're hoarding it. But what you I'd do, pay, what I'd I do, pay TG, I'd pay TG in USD. That's true. You could do that. But now what I'm thinking of, Ash, is that I need to get my hands on some more Ethereum so I can buy some NFTs, right? You were at the conference last week, not me. And I do want to get an update on that offline. But for me, having you know spent a little bit of time carving up that sector and actually going through the I'm not a tech friendly guy, but going through the process of transferring my positions from First Coinbase to Coinbase Pro to connecting to the Coinbase wallet to the MetaMask to OpenSea. I mean, that OpenSeas, that was an arduous process, but I'm glad I got through it. And now my NFT liquidity is at my fingertips and I'm in I'm in the game. 
I love you know, it. So, yeah, so getting in the game is a big thing for me. And while as a newsletter author, I know that I'm sort of preaching to people that know so much more about Bitcoin than me. I'm kind of staking my claim that I'm still going to be Bitcoin proficient before like the rest of the world is and that we can be leaders in the sector, you know, by kind of applying the old macro uh, principles that we've applied to it that seem to be treating us so well in terms of navigating the space so far, if that's fair to look at it that way. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Absolutely. And very well said. And it's also about just physically getting in the game. I've talked about this here on Real Vision. Even if you're someone who doesn't feel comfortable taking a large investment position in Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, jump in, get some, uh, get your feet wet, even if it's a tiny amount of it. Uh, so doing something like accepting it, it's really a signal to say, hey, this is something I'm serious about. This is something I'm going to be covering going forward. And this is something that I want to learn more about. Totally. While, um, you know, while this asset class is responding so well in performance to a lot of the inflationary issues that really hurt us. Right. And let's discuss it fairly as, you know, as as citizens of the market, as investors, as just, you know, um, members of society, it gets more and more different, more and more difficult to pay successively higher um, energy bills to pay successively higher grocery bills. And we just had the energy secretary come out and say, get used to it. Winter's coming. It's going to be a lot more expensive to heat your house. Sorry, we're going towards electronic, um, you know, vehicles and lithium batteries and everything like that. And while it may be shooting ourselves in the foot, we're doing it anyway. So the only thing you can do And that's why, you know, I try to urge my clients to step into this brave new world is, you know, try to get a hold of the things that are performing well in response to that inflation that's hitting you so hard in the wallet every week. So, you know, I think that this is the only way, you know, when I say that um, it doesn't pay, it doesn't make sense to get, you know, politically outraged about the things that are going on. um, You know, the decision, the set of decisions is continuing to go in the same direction. You know, luckily, as market students of the market, we have the markets to read, okay, what's my hedge to this? What's right. my hedge to this terrible outcome? And the cryptocurrency market continues to show us, like Paul Tudor Jones says, that it's the best hedge to inflation right now. So if that's not enough to get you a little bit involved, then I'm not sure what else we can do. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why I love markets, Tony, is because you always have a scoreboard and you have a way of participating in a way of uh, of hedging uh, and reacting to the things that are happening. By the way, just to put a data point around what we were talking about earlier, what you were just talking about uh, with crude, WTI, it's up almost uh, 3% on the day. It looks like right now on my screen uh, at 84 36. But I want to jump to something else that you pointed to, uh, which was lithium batteries, this question of energy storage. Obviously, it's a very hot topic. I wanted to jump in and take a look at a clip. This is Maggie Lake talking to Chris Berry uh, right here on Real Vision today uh, on the Essential Plus and Pro Tiers. Let's take a look at this clip. Today, if we just focus on lithium, it's around a 375,000 ton per year market. 
Okay. And when we talk about lithium, we talk about it in terms of lithium carbonate equivalent units or LCE units. So for anybody watching, if you hear, if you see something and it says 10,000, you know, tons of LCE, that's what that is referring to. So today we're at 375,000 tons per year. My view is that that's going to triple to over 1 million tons of demand by 2025. And then I think it doubles again to 2 million tons of demand by 2030. And again, to your point earlier, your question earlier, you know, why it's all about the lithium ion battery and the electrification of the automotive and the, the energy storage supply chain. Yeah, there we have it. Chris Berry talking about precisely this point that we were just discussing, uh, the ability to use markets to hedge and to predict and to react to what's happening. Uh, his view, very interesting. He says that he sees uh, basically a tripling of demand for lithium by 2025 and then a doubling again after that by 2030. Tony, what are your thoughts? I like the way he's thinking. You know, he's definitely accepting, you know, the direction that our energy policy is morphing. The lithium is going to be necessary to build all these lithium batteries for the electric cars. Um, They are obviously a huge ESG trade. And, you know, I think that there are plenty more like them in the market that we need to sort of, you know, pay close attention to. You know, the, the lithium, the lithium trade is kind of hard to get your hands on. Um, But, you can see how the entire energy complex in the U.S. is morphing. You know, for example, since we decided we're no longer going to pump 12 million barrels a day and be the biggest energy producer on the planet, suddenly the nuclear sector has come alive and has just broken out again last week. And, you know, we, I believe that we just got a headline today from Macron that said that they're going to discuss having nuclear reactors over in the EU um, and I think that's obviously because their current energy policy isn't getting them there. So, um, you know, as the energy landscape changes, uranium becomes much more of a viable option. We know that Sprott was astute enough to go out and create that um, essentially uranium eating machine ETF that he created, Sprott Physical Uranium. And as he yeah. continues to procure that um, and we pivot toward that as a potential scenario, you know, you have to uh, respect all of these trades and sort of at least get a little bit of an understanding to them. I mean, it looks to me like the uranium trade, the uranium long is a great sort of ESG blow up trade. Right. So that's kind of getting us to the point where the windmills and the solar panels aren't going to cut it. And guys are now standing there saying, you know what they're going to pivot to next? They're going to have to go nuclear. And so now we start procuring the uranium ahead of the uh, nuclear producer. So, right. There, there, there's there's a lot of, you know, this uh, energy trade since Biden has come into office has become like a Rubik's Cube with a lot of moving parts, um, right. you know, a lot more interrelated parts. We've got carbon credits to trade now. We've got the uranium trade. We need a lithium ETF. You know, it's all kind of morphing right in front of you. And I think that those are the opportunities that you have to pay attention to because those are the ones where you really have an edge. Right. You really have an edge knowing that, you know, we're going to really probably have to pivot to uranium. Right. The right. solar and wind are not going to produce, um, you know, the the power generation that fossil fuels can produce. So there's going to be some kind of a shortcoming once the people get tired of freezing and paying more for their food. They're going to come back at the authorities and say, that's enough of these crazy energy prices. Let's do something. That was a five-second update on something that likely takes five to ten years, but right. the markets will be way ahead of that, and that's why we're here in, in handsome ties and clean press shirts today. 
You know, Tony, one of the reasons I love having these conversations with you is to talk about the interaction uh, between the news cycle, policy, and politics. You know, whether you love politics or hate it, there's a network out there that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. We do something different here, which is to analyze the news flow in the context of what's happening in markets, what it implies, what might be coming next, and how we might be thinking further down the road. And there's nobody better at doing that here uh, with us, Tony, than you. And we always appreciate you having you on to do it. Super kind of you to say, Slash. I'm really, really proud of this uh, this whole thing that we built here. And I hope that we can continue to uh, enlighten as many people as we can. Yeah, very well said. Tony, talking of which, let's jump in and take some questions. Let's go. Here's one come to us from Oliver M. This one comes to us from The Exchange. This is Real Vision's internal social network. And the question's for you, Tony. Are you seeing any demand destruction in commodities or real estate? Real estate, no. Um, you know, the real estate, the hard asset, uh, the hard asset trade seems to still be on. And I just want to address that for a minute because, you know, the obituary for New York City sort of once again has been written over and over and over. And I can only address, um, I get one real estate newsletter from a friend of mine, and she's a very high-end realtor in New York City. And there are still an unbelievable amount of high-priced real estate transactions trading in New York. There is no doldrum because of the pandemic and, and the morphing of the rules, et cetera, et cetera. So that speaks to the hard asset trade, to me, the real estate side of it. Um, Demand destruction in, you know, I don't think that we've gotten to the point where we're seeing demand destruction either in the energy complex where, you know, my gas, my gas tank just quite frankly went from a $50, $60 item to a $90 item, right? That's not going to stop me yet from taking the long trip, taking the trips that I have to, you know, right. as we get north of $5. Um, you know, it's going to start affecting, you know, the entire middle class population as to how many long trips that they take, um, you know, where they're going to set the therm thermostat on their house, et cetera, et cetera, with energy prices much higher this winter. So I do believe that we're going to see behavioral patterns change. I don't think that we are at sticker shock prices yet where demand destruction kicks in, if that's fair. I think we're going to see that when we get to the escape velocity portion of the inflation trade. And right now we're just in this sort of beginning takeoff power curve. But there's going to be a time when everybody is going to wish that they had bought more commodity exposure, inflation exposure, and probably equity exposure last year because they can't even look at the prices that are on the screen. But we're going to get to that. That's all part of this process. Yeah. By the way, talking about writing the uh, obituary for New York City, perhaps prematurely, we've just had a mayoral election here. Uh, the Democrat won, Eric Adams, former NYPD police officer, just came out uh, two days ago and said, hey, by the way, when it comes to crime, I'm a conservative. Great to hear. Great to hear. That's certainly the direction that we need to be going in New York City after the last several years. So crime, obviously a rising problem for people uh, outside of New York City and around the world. It's been a challenge here uh, for the last two years or so, rising greatly. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Uh, Here's a question that comes to us from Faye Lawrence. Grant, this one comes to us from the Real Vision site. It's a great question. It's for you again, Tony. Uh, If all you had left in the world was your hard-owned money, say $100,000, what would you do with it? If you only had 100 grand left, Tony, what would you do with it? That's a tough question. You know, I'm, I'm a, I want to answer it the way he wants me to answer it and say, where would you put it? Um, you know, I, I, I'm stock, I'm a born stock market bull, Ash. You know, if I look at the chart of this thing, you know, I, of course, the course of my life. And if I had been spending the beer money that I was spending in high school on the S&P, uh, you, we, we wouldn't be talking right now because I would be living on my own island somewhere and I wouldn't be worrying about what anybody thinks or says or does about anything, right? So my my best guess is, is that I would wait for a dip in the stock market and I would probably put it all in there, right? It, the easiest way to do that for me is probably to buy SPY. And the reason I can have confidence in that is as long as this mechanism is intact where the Federal Reserve is going to continue to grow their balance sheet and inflate assets, they continue to send the message that if you have assets, you're going to survive this. It is becoming ever increasingly clear as we approach higher energy prices, um, much higher food prices, a potential food shortage event that if you have assets, you will survive. And if you don't, you're going to have a major problem. So as long as that platform scenario is intact, that's probably what I would do with the 100K, and I'd probably close my eyes for a really long time. Tony, I think you absolutely nailed it. That was exactly the spirit of the question he was asking. Uh, here's one that comes to us from No Ordinary Lives uh, from YouTube. Uh, where does Tony see gold prices going by the end of the year? Um, well, Hopefully, this guy uh, asking the question realized that I'm kind of wrong way, wrong sided in gold in the last couple of days, right? I've told, um, I've kind of gotten my clients and not 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 gotten them out, but suggested that I'm not going to be chasing down this gold trade anymore, right? Gold is something, you know. I, I just read a long short trader just tweeted out. I don't know what I think it was this morning. You know, tell me what the bear case in gold for the next ten years is. And my response was that there is no bear case in gold for the next 10 years and it won't go up. Right. So to me, that's the bear case in gold is that it's not performing during this absurd power curve in inflation. We, if you would have asked me or asked anybody two, three years ago, what do you think the price of gold goes if one year CPI is a nine percenter? <laughs> right. I would have been like, oh, 2,500 bid, yeah. 3,000 bid. I don't know. Uh, higher, a lot higher. Right here we are at nine percent CPI, and um, I can say this because I say this is an evergreen gold quote. And there goes gold rallying through through eighteen hundred again. Right, gold rallies up through eighteen hundred and gets smashed, and then it goes and rallies up through eighteen hundred and it gets smashed, and then it rallies through eighteen hundred, and then at eight thirty the next morning it gets smashed. So. I don't like fighting that dynamic whereby the thing that I bought that I think should go up gets smashed. So for me, I don't care where gold goes for the rest of the year. There are too many good opportunities to chase down too many other trades. And I don't mean to be rude to the person asking the question. That's not my intention. It's just to show my attitude towards what I think the potential is versus the other inflation trades that are out there. 
you know, it was it was a bad scene for me when we came out of that FOMC meeting a couple of months ago and Jerome Powell literally used the dollar, a dollar rally to dismantle the price of gold simply because he was getting so much heat calling calling inflation transitory. So for me, that was something that clicked where, you know, you, we came out the next day after that FOMC meeting and all the articles were about, you know, the gold gold um, seriously isn't taking inflation seriously. And it got them out of a jam. So if they're going to use gold for a tool to get them out of a jam, when the inflation starts picking up and getting hairy, I don't want to be anywhere around it. So I'm not a good guy to ask where I think gold ends up at the end of the year. It's down 5% on the year. It, it's in the it's in the I don't care column for me. Yeah, boy, you said it in terms of if you would predict it, inflation, uh, where it's running now, CPI, PCE, take your pick of the measure, where would gold be? It'd be well above 2000 By the way, data point here, reality check, gold shading at 1832 uh, right now on my screen. Uh, up pretty uh, a bit here over the last uh, it looks like uh, looks like 30 days uh, we're gone from six, 1760 up to 1830 where we are right now Tony great show with you as always a lot of threads a lot of different points how do we bring it all together at the end uh, and make some of this cogent in a world where you know markets look fragmented looking hard to get our heads around oh man it really is uh it really is a tough ball of wax to roll up in one but if we're going to stick to our guns ash we've been bullish the stock market and we've been right um we've been bullish crude oil and then we uh cautioned ourselves because of the data that we observed that when the one-year spread goes out past seven dollars backwardated flat price tends to struggle that being the case I can make a million cases why it's different this time for the energy complex, most specifically crude oil, right? It's very different this time with the ESG story being applied hastily, right? So with that being different this time, I'm going to remain an oil bull and continue to look for commodities to rally. So what I'm continuing to look for is ways to protect myself against what I see as you know, debilitating a debilitating inflation scenario for most of the middle class. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, now more than ever, before we get into that breakaway part of the trade, I'm just trying to be cognizant of my portfolio, analyze my risk and say, you know, what what trades do I have on have less upside potential than ones that are just breaking out again? If that's a fair way to put it, you know, I've been called making the call lately that home builders have been consolidating for a long time and are just breaking out again. That's a trade I want to go with. Um, I made that argument about banks a while ago about financials. They're not really exploding, but I think in a higher rate environment, they'll be fine. So I guess it's a matter of kind of rounding out the portfolio to make sure your exposure looks like what you want it to, to make sure that your food bill is protected with something like DBA or some kind of an ag ETF. Um, because the best thing that could happen to us is we all lose money on our ag ETF hedges and the price of bread goes back down to a dollar a loaf. You know, so that's the way I look at those kind of um, trades and put it all together is really just trying to stay ahead of this inflation power curve. Because, like I said, there's going to be a time and you can timestamp me on this when everybody is going to wish they bought more inflation based trades in 2021 likely sometime in the first or second quarter of next year. But that's what I see happening. So I'm trying to get ready for that as I get into the end of the year. 
Tony, well said, well pulled together when markets are anything but. The one thing I'm sure of is we got to do this again next week. Keep the streak alive, man. The streak is going to be alive like Joe DiMaggio, baby. And we're going to go with the ties again, too. I like it. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for joining us again, Tony. Well played, everyone. Great job, Thanks. Slash. Thank you, sir. Thanks for watching, everyone. Uh, the conversation continues on Real Visions Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. I'll be back with Jared Dillian. Thanks again for watching. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.